When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning everyone and welcome to the Football Digest women's football show. Um, How are we on? Are we all okay? Yeah, all good. Good. Um, So this morning I am joined by Megan, Louise and Beth. Megan, you're making your debut today. The final podcast of the Arnold Park Cup, and we can save the best till last. Because what a moment! Yeah, no, it was awesome. Um, I'm glad to make my debut. This is cool. Oh, amazing! Well, we are very happy to have you, and of course, Beth and Louise are returning for more carnage. Um, Louise, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. <laughs> and Beth, how are you this morning? You good? I'm very good. Happy it's Friday, but yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> and the end of a really busy 10 days, but what, I guess, a couple of weeks it's been, hasn't it? I mean, another piece of silverware, tick, that'll do nicely. Um, what did we all think of the tournament? Um, Megan, what about you? What were your kind of pick-out moments from it? To be honest, I thought the Belgium game was mine, just in terms of kind of like the statement that it made, you know, like throughout the tournament. I wouldn't say England were like at their best and Belgium going into it, they sort of, to me, like represented probably like the most intense competition of the whole thing. And so to go out there and like not only win by that margin, but it's the biggest margin. I thought they were definitely more fluid, more aggressive. Yeah. So for me, like that was my standout moment because it was just like, yeah, if this, if anyone around the world is watching that team, you're probably nervous going into the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll come on to the World Cup in a little bit, but you kind of definitely think about it and... Belgium have got so many incredible players in their squad. I mean, we saw from just the other matches that England weren't involved in. Obviously, for those who are just joining us now on this last episode, feel free to go back and watch the others. Um, but also, we we spoke about kind of, this is an incredible tournament to see all of these players on the world stage on home turf. And it, it put on a really good show. I mean, I we all watched kind of all of the games and... I mean, I think we were a little, I was definitely a little bit disappointed by Korea Republic. I don't think they they showed what they're fully capable of. But Italy and Belgium, some of their players are just insane. And yeah, I think you're so right, Megan. It kind of sets up a, a very pretty picture for us, but a dangerous picture for everybody else that are watching. Um, so yeah, Louise, what about you? What's your standout moment from the tournament? It's a good question, standout thing. I really enjoyed just watching all the different styles of football and all the different players that were, were coming into, you know, Coventry, Bristol and Kings and giving people that it's not all based in London. So giving people a, a whole view that you can go and watch it live. I mean, the fact that you got, if you bought tickets to the first game, you got the second game for free. I just think it was just a really nice tournament for people to to start getting excited about the World Cup because there's names in there that we're going to see and... I, I just really like the whole 
just the whole tournament as a whole, I think we got to see a lot of link ups from Serena Riegman. She said she was going to experiment, but I wasn't expecting that much experimentation. Like I genuinely enjoyed when I when we were watching the Italy game and the, the tweet went up of like the starting lineup, I was reading the the comments underneath. And it was like, is Serena Rina, is Serena Riegman okay? Like, is she okay? Like, because there was that much experimentation. You know what? That just says so much that if teams are watching that tournament, and no doubt they are, countries are watching it, and they're going, how are we going to deal with England? Because we don't know how they're going to do it. We can't prepare because there's so much depth. And I just, that really stood out. And I, I just, I really, really enjoyed watching it, to be honest. Yeah, me too. It was definitely something really special. Um, especially after the Euros and the the incline that we've had for women's football, it's just kind of like the perfect peak of watching it on home turf before the World Cup because obviously it's in Australia and New Zealand. So a lot of kids probably can't actually watch it because it'll probably be at three o'clock in the morning uh, unless they bribe their parents. I'm not telling you to bribe your parents' kids if you're watching this. Um, Beth, what about you? What do you think was your favourite or standout moment from the tournament? I think I think pretty much every time Lauren James got on the ball was was probably my my favourite moment. I mean, I think it's it's absolutely it's absolutely absurd and and sort of a testament to to the strength and depth that this England squad has. That their best player potentially that their best player going forward is someone who didn't even go into the Euros because obviously she had their injury concerns and and wasn't getting a lot of minutes at Chelsea and. You know, she's stayed patient. She's had to play away into that Chelsea side. She's absolutely done that. She's been incredible for her club this season and she's replicated that on the international stage. Obviously got a first international um, senior England goal um, in, in the first game against Korea Republic. Got an assist in, in the in the second game to, to set up the winner for Rachel Daly and then obviously um, sort of was was instrumental in that that opener for, for Chloe Kelly on, on um, the other night as well. So... Yeah, she's she's an exceptional talent, and and as I say, someone I'm really excited to to see going forward. But I think I think as as you all said, it, you know, it was just so nice to see so many different players, and you know, players taking their opportunity as well. I'd say probably Lauren James was player of the tournament, but I was very much impressed with with Katie Robinson from from Brighton as well. Obviously, a very very young player. She was handed her first senior England start against Italy and, and sort of in the previous game she, she'd come on as a substitute and spend probably the, the biggest chance of, of the tournament she had an open goal and she hits it against the post and you think for a young player that could actually you know really knock knock your confidence but you know she, she came out started against Italy and was absolutely exceptional I thought and, and really took the opportunity with both hands for me she's a player who's, who's definitely cemented a spot in that World Cup squad so I think yeah just see it, seeing the the vast array of talent within this squad has been such a joy and yeah, really excited for the summer now. I think that's it is, I mean, we talk about squad depth and how many choices that we have. It is ridiculous. I mean, we talk about kind of, it has been mentioned a few times that Serena has a brilliant headache in actually how many choices she does have. And all of these players that are coming through, I mean, obviously, we have the older, more senior players who have who have kind of been in that in that squad for such a long time, whether they're just coming back after a few years like Laura Coombs or whether they've been cemented in that through the Euros and before the Euros. It is so important to highlight how young these players are and how spectacular they are as well at such a young age. I mean, speaking to Lauren James after the match, 
on the pitch, she does not seem as humble and shy as what she is because she just, her talent just comes through and she's just so alive on that pitch. Then when you speak to her, she's so humbling and so quiet. And it it really shows how how young she is. And talking about kind of love for players, um, Megan, one thing that that really amused me was when you kind of had said to me, I was watching the last England game at, at home on my TV and you were there at Ashton Gate. And obviously we had so much possession. It was absolutely insane. And one thing that really made me laugh was what the TV didn't show was when Mary Ertz was just literally just sprinting up and down. Yeah. Well, England enjoyed like a spell of possession for like an eternity at this point. And so like Mary Ertz, I felt so bad. I was like, she's probably going to get like, it's like, I was like, her, she's going to get like locked up knees or something. Like she's not going to be able to move when they come back down. So it was, it was really funny. And yeah, she just started sprinting kind of like from the top of the penalty box, kind of to midway between the halfway line. And she started running back and forth, like doing some sort of drill. And I was like, this is quintessential, like experiment of dominance that England are, are enjoying. It was genuinely hysterical. <laughs> I did. It was one of my favorite moments of the match. I'm not going to lie, receiving that message. I mean, there is so much love for Mary Ertz. What was it like on the night? Because towards the end of the game, when she kind of did have the ball, there were so many cheers for the passes that she was making. <laughs> I mean, everybody loves her, don't they? And I think she's a real, real strong figure for the young goalkeepers that are coming through. Yeah, I'm on the night of, like, everyone you could tell, the crowd loved her. The, I mean, most of the journalists who were there, we were watching her. Um, and we were all kind of finding it kind of funny throughout the match because we're like, she's literally doing nothing. Like, she might as well go get a hot dog at this point. Like, she's just not needed. Because um, so I think at the, by the end of the match, um, Belgium had only registered two games uh, or two goals. Um, they didn't, that second goal didn't come to obviously injury time um, or two shots, sorry. Um so yeah, but, but Mary, the thing about Mary that I thought was like really telling and also the defense, um, there was this point kind of early in the first half, maybe after England had gotten the goal, at the, the opening goal that they wanted and Belgium came forward on the attack and they kind of broke through the midfield. It looked like they were actually genuinely on, to, on a counter and no one in the audience freaked out. Like there was not like an intake of breath. There was no panic. There was absolutely nothing. And Leah Williamson and Millie Bright just kind of casually like took care of it. Mary Earps didn't have to do much. And then England were back in possession. And I felt like that was so telling as to how strong this defense is and how much confidence people have going into it. You know, the teams that I support, I can tell you right now, if suddenly the opposition broke through midfield, I'd be gasping for air. I'd be like, oh my gosh, we're screwed. But that didn't happen on the night. And I mean, these are, these are 10, 11, 12 year old girls who just know that nah, it's cool. Like it's, everything's going to be fine. And yeah, I do feel bad for Mary Earps when she conceded that goal. It was a brilliant goal from Belgium. Like, and take nothing away. That is genuinely a wonderful strike. I feel like any consolation goal has to be awesome. Like, you don't just score like a bad consolation goal. Um, I know that she was like Mary Earps. You could tell like she was absolutely gutted because, yeah, to have a clean sheet in that kind of match would have been brilliant. And part of me thinks maybe if she hadn't just sat there all match, maybe she could have you know, moved her feet more, been in a better position. But again, like that's just the way things kind of crumble. Yeah, I mean, she she really is. She is the type that is so gutted, even if she can't save an absolute screamer that most goalkeepers can't save. I mean, after the match, you could see that everybody was kind of taking the mick out of her a little bit. And that just says it all because they knew, the rest of her her team knew that she was not saving that. Most top goalkeepers are not saving that. 
and she was still gutted. <laughs> it's just a testament to her absolute ethic and determination. Um, Louise, what did you think? Um, well, I was like to sat at home watching it on my telly, uh, so I didn't see the sprint. So I think that's brilliant. And it's very glaring because I've seen similar sort of stuff at Man United. But um, for me, watching Belgium as well and watching England, I think there was only twice that I counted. You know, uh, England didn't get the ball back within five passes. So, yeah, within three passes, sorry, it took five passes twice. That's it for the Belgian side. Like, we just annihilated their possession. So I just sat there like little geek Italian. Oh, it took five passes. Oh, my God. And we went in. I was like, oh, all right, five passes. Like, um, So that, that I think, is a true testament as well to England. And even being 3-0, 4-0 up, there's still that press. So And there's still that hunger and that energy. So I think that was great. But I had spoke to Mary about this before and going, look, we dominate some teams. We have in qualifiers. How do you keep focused? And she's like, oh, I just, I just try to stay because the goal can come at any point and she knows that. And she's like, I've been punished before. I will be punished again if I don't stay focused. So if you, I bet if she was sprinting, it's quite funny to see, but I bet her focus was still like stone face, like boom, it's the game. And I need to be warm. I know what I need to do. And it's just very her. And I, I'm so glad people got to see it as well. Because I think, especially when we're dominating, everyone talks about the attack. No one talks about the goalkeeper, yeah, and what she's doing. And yeah, she couldn't have saved that. And she said, um, when I did have a chat with her before, she said, uh, I never, ever want to concede again. Like, I hate it. It's the worst thing in the world. I don't care. If I could, I would. She went, but that's not realistic. And I know that. So it shows that she's got this hunger. She's also so humble and going, no, I can't be perfect. Um, and there's that acceptance of that as well. So I think it just shows how much she, how, how mature, if that's the right word, and how mature she is and how much it's not an ego thing. Going, oh, God, you know, I'll let one in. She's not like that. She's like, no, I'll, I'll do it again and, and, and I'll go again and, and I'll prove that I can, I can do better. And I just, I just love to watch her. I love watching her. It's amazing. I think she definitely has that <laughs> to Mary. <laughs> she definitely has some. I think mature is the right word because she is the leading figure in the goalkeepers. I mean, and unfortunately, we um, we didn't quite get to see Emily Ramsey do the full tournament. She went back to her home club with with an ankle injury that she picked up in training. But we saw Ellie Roebuck start, and it, I think it's so important to have that figure. Like we say, there's so much, we focus so much on on the forwards and, and midfield and obviously defenders as well. But the goalkeepers, there's not a lot of focus on them. And I think there really needs to be with this team because they reflect so well against what's happening in the rest of the team because there's still that camaraderie. There's still that, I guess training and, and mentoring going on. Mary is the senior and number one. And she's got three incredible young goalkeepers coming up behind her. And whenever I've spoken spoken to them and, and especially when I spoke to Emily Ramsey and Ellie Roebuck, they just have nothing but love for her and admiration. And I think that's such a testament to not just Mary the person, but Serena and and all of the the coaches and how they're pulling this team together. It's never a it's always competition, but it's healthy competition and it's mentoring at the same time. Um, and yeah, I just think they're spoiled for choice, um, really. 
Let's have a look at the rest of the Arnold Clark Cup. So another piece of silverware we have got in the cabinet. Um, Beth, what do you think? I mean, we're spoiled for choice up front, really, aren't we? I mean, there's a ridiculous amount of, of talent, like we say, everywhere. I think that's a given. What I guess who are your kind of key forwards that, that you would put up, especially in preparation for the World Cup? I think it, it was quite telling really in terms of, of that that and that, that Serena went for against Belgium. I think, you know, she, she was quite candid in, in a in a press conference before that game and said, I, I actually still don't know what my strongest eleven is. And I think to an extent that's true. And I think, you know, we spoke on the pod last week about actually you don't necessarily need to have one start in eleven that is is your strongest because it depends the type of opposition that you're playing against. Different players have different strengths and it's good to be able to to switch out certain players, you know, if the, if you feel like they're going to be more of a threat against a certain type of, of opposition. But I think that that starting eleven against Belgium was probably as close. Um, obviously, without um, with without Frank Kirby, who you know is injured, we don't know the extent of that injury yet. Hopefully, only short term. We would imagine that if she is fit and she, you know, she'll go straight into that starting eleven. We saw how how exceptional. You know, she was at the Euros and, and obviously she's she's had a stellar career. So she's definitely someone I think will go into that strongest lineup if she is fit. And Beth Mead, obviously, um, you know, it, she's facing it a race against time to to be fit for, for the World Cup. I saw a, an interview with her yesterday and she said the sensible thing to say would be, I'll be back and ready for next season, but I'm not sensible. And I think it's such a difficult one in that situation because she's such such a talisman for England. She obviously won the the golden boot at, at the Euros, but you know she, it, it will be a real race against time. If she is fit, it will probably by, be by the skin of her teeth, and she won't have had a lot of minutes under her belt. And then you've got to ask the question: Is it worth having her in the squad for her experience, for you know, for the ability she possesses to maybe bring her off the bench in some games? Or actually, is it unfair for her to take the spot of, say, like a, a Katie Robinson from Brighton, who is playing week in, week out for a club, has, has had, you know, been on the most recent international camp. So I think that will be a dilemma for Serena to make. And, you know, I'm sure Serena, we, we know, isn't someone who bows to sort of media clamour or or what fans want. You know, she, she will, she, if she if she doesn't leave, you know, if she doesn't um, include Beth in her squad, I think she will do that because she feels that's what's best for the player and what's best for the team. And I think that's definitely the right way to go. But um, I think probably, you know, that that front three against Belgium, Lauren James, Alessi Russo and, and Chloe Kelly, for me is probably the strongest um, front three at the moment. Chloe Kelly, obviously, I think she had three international goals going into this tournament. She doubled that tally, won the golden boot. She's an absolutely scintillating form for a club as well. So I think I'd, I'd go those three as my as my sort of first choice front three. Of course, Rachel Daly, we know how potent she can be. And I think, again, against certain types of opposition, when you want a more of a, a clinical sort of box-in-the-box kind of number nine, it's probably, you know, your best bet. But I think, as you say, we're just so, so, so lucky to have such a wealth of, of attacking options. And I think just sort of going back to, to what you said about Mary, who I would completely agree is an exceptional goalkeeper. But I think on the flip side of that, as much as we've got talented young goalkeepers coming through in Ellie Roebuck and Emily Ramsey, I think the drop-off from Mary Earps to any of her sort of deputies is huge. I think she is possibly one player in the side that we really can't afford to lose to injury because, you know, Ellie Roebuck, we saw her come in against against Italy and, 
she probably would would admit herself she she could have done better for their goal. And I, I think she's obviously a very talented young goalkeeper. She's playing ahead of, of Sandy McKeever for a club. Um, but you know we saw against against Norway before Christmas as well. She made it made a bit of an error. And of course, you know that that happens. That happens to any players. And obviously, as a goalkeeper, it's highlighted all the more because obviously a mistake often leads to a goal. But I do think she's got a mistake in it, Ellie Roebuck, and and I would be slightly concerned if she were to be sort of England's starting goalkeeper if you know touch wood hopefully not but if anything were to happen to Mary so yeah I think up front it is one area of the pitch where I think if we lose one or two players you, you know obviously it'd be frustrating and it would be disappointing and a shame for those players but I think we're, we're definitely well stocked in in those attacking areas which is great yeah definitely um Megan is there kind of Anything that you think that we could have learned from from this tournament and we take into the World Cup? Because it's going to be, I mean, we've got just under five months, literally, until our very first match. Um, is there anything that you think that we can take from from the tournament going into that? Well, one of my big takeaways, I guess, from the Belgium game was just how good Kiara Walsh was at the bottom of that midfield. And I think that's actually somewhere that like Serena might need to consider on top of the Mary Earps thing is... Um, if she brought Williamson in to take her spot when when Kira was out with them, um, I think she was sick. And Lee has come out and said she doesn't actually enjoy playing there. She wants to play in defense. And if that's what Serena like, was, if that was kind of her initial go-to, is we're going to put Lee into that position. Like I'm not sure. I I, just, I don't really know her thinking behind that. Um, so I think Kira for me against Belgium, she was wonderful. She was genuinely amazing. Um, the passes that she made, her vision kind of just like the composure she had on the ball she was constantly dropping back and making sure that things were just like taking over um so that for me like that was a big lesson learned is just how vital she is and like her quality was unbelievable like she you can tell that she is just one of the best midfielders in the world um but I think a lesson learned there is like you, you don't want to lose her and and maybe you need to start thinking about like okay how do we make sure that if something does happen or you're like you know World Cup's a long tournament. That is a very, very long period of time and some minutes can't always be had. And yeah, I think that's a lesson that needs to be learned. It's like, wh- what do you do in that moment and, and who's going to really step up to take Walsh's spot if something does happen or if she just needs a break? I'm really glad you brought Kira up actually because obviously she did miss the first game due to having a stomach bug um, and, and be poorly. But again, approaching that, we kind of thought, oh, Serena's got it. You know, she's got this under her belt. She's got good replacement. She can move things around. But then when you see her come back into the squad, you really do see why Kira is one of the number one choices for midfield. And I think you're completely right. I can't see a midfield without her right now. She just solidifies everything about that team. Um, And I do think when she doesn't play, although this team is so good and there's so many talented players. Let's not take that away from anybody. But Kira definitely just cements that entire midfield and keeps everybody linked up. Um, I, yeah, I completely agree. And I'm really glad that you brought it up. Arnold Clark Cup is done and dusted. Um, Ten days, two weeks that we've had. Megan, like you say, the World Cup is so much longer. We've got a good month of it. Um, In the meantime, there is a couple of games that we've got coming up 
internationally. So we do get another chance to see the Lionesses playing. And we spoke about, Louise, it was you that said, you know, it's a really good chance for everybody to see them that don't live in London. We can kind of see them scattered around. Um, One thing I kind of want to ask going into it is, are we at the point where we should be playing at bigger venues? So should we be playing automatically at a venue with a capacity of more than, I don't know, 20 to 25,000? Yes. Straight in. That's it. Yes. I thought that was a free-for-all. Um, <laughs> go for it. No, it kind of is. I wrote a piece for the Mirror the other day about how there's the England-Australia uh, Outside the Society game. The men's men and women are hosting Australia, uh, the men's are playing at Wembley and the women's are playing at Brentford, which is a 17,500 capacity. The tickets were sold out within 24 hours or just over 24 hours. Supply and demand. Who decided that was a good idea? Because we've just, but we've just had, forgive me, I can't remember the exact figures, but we've, we've had over 20,000 for, I think, for every game. Yeah, Bristol was, Bristol was like 21,000 something. I can't remember exactly. There's a six somewhere in there. I know that Coventry was, it broke records for both men. 32,000. 21,000 at the first game and then 20,000. Right, so straight away, like, but they're against teams that, um, you know, Belgium aren't in the World Cup and they're against teams we haven't really seen. They're not really high calibre. But you're now going to host a game against England, potential winners of the World Cup, favourites of the World Cup, especially up there, against the host nation. And you decide to tuck it away in Brentford. Like, what are you doing? It's five days after. Uh, it's five days after uh, uh, after they're at Wembley against Brazil, right? So there's plenty of pitch space time for it to whatever the pitch people need to do. Again, I don't know, but I'm, five days is enough, in my opinion, of my unprofessional opinion. Um, so, and then from that, there's then a couple of days, because I think that's on the Tuesday and then the Friday, the men host Australia at Wembley. So why are we tucked away? Why are we tucked away in Brentford? It, to me, it doesn't make sense. You've not met supply and demand. It's so frustrating because we think that, I mean, I mean, let me just do some really quick math. More than 70,000 people, at least, we have seen in three matches. And that's really just because of like the the amount that were provided. Like you you would imagine that if there were bigger stadiums that more people would have shown up. And and like um like you said, like Belgium didn't exactly bring a big contingent. There was like a very small little patch of Belgium fans, and when they scored, everyone was like, Yeah, like it was it was very like sweet. Um, but Australia, that's a big side. Like they just won the Cup of Nations, okay? And you've got a ton of Matildas that are like here playing in the WSL and like not small little like you know, bite-sized players or like bit part players. You've got Sam Kerr, you've got Seth Catley, like you've got players who are genuine stars in the WSL. So you would imagine that the hunger and the appetite for the Australian crowds also there. In double headers like this, it kind of, when the men and the women both play literally within days of each other, this is an incredible time to see the men's and the women's England teams play. Because again, some people might not be able to see the England team when they go out to the Euros and the World Cup. So it's not just the women's, but it does feel like we take three steps forward and then four steps back in terms of the, the the equality, I guess, between men's and women's football. You know, we're starting to see more WS WSL games played at Premier League stadiums. We're getting 
literally 40,000, 30,000 people at WSL games at the Emirates. So this is an international game. Like, why are we playing at a 17,000 capacity stadium? It's brilliant for Brentford and for Brentford fans. Don't get me wrong. Like, I know Brentford fans and they're absolutely buzzing for it. It is brilliant. But you've got to then put it into perspective of 17,000 people. That's almost half of, of the CBS arena where we saw a record capacity. And you have to imagine a lot of England fans probably might not make it out to Australia. You know, like that's a big trip to take. It's very expensive. I'm just trying to clock it up for just us. You know, I'm looking at prices and I'm like, oh my gosh, that is a big number with a lot of zeros. Um, and if you're a family with like two girls or, or a group of kids, boys included, that want to go, that's a really big trip to take. And a lot of these families might not be able to afford that. And the one chance they do have at watching England just before the World Cup against a, another World Cup nation is now slightly being taken away from you simply due to the number allowed in the stadium, which is it's quite baffling. I also feel like as well, as Louise touched on it there, but they're obviously playing Brazil in the in the finalist merit at Wembley. They've sold that out. And I, I don't actually, off the top of my head, I don't know the, the 100% capacity of Wembley, but it's in 80,000, round about 80,000. So I think it's slightly more than that. And, you know, the, the, the Lionesses for the final, the Euros final last summer, set a record for, for the Euros attendance, men's and women's at Wembley. They've sold it out again, and yet you're going to have use a venue that's a, that's a quarter of that size. You know that it 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 doesn't it doesn't make sense. And I think you know it would be frustrating if it were just the women playing. But with the fact that it is a double header and, and the men are playing and the men are playing at Wembley, that's a real insult. I think. Yeah, especially when we've seen what we have seen over the last what I, I can't do the math properly since. The last eight months, eight, nine months, literally, even the Arnold Clark Cup, we've we've won it twice on the bounce. Like we're seeing so much incline. Like, what is going on? We're taking like four steps backwards. Even worse though, Beth, like it's not even a quarter. I I did the thing, it's like nineteen point one percent of the capacity of Wembley. So you're not even giving a quarter of the fan base and you're hosting it in the in London. So do you know what I mean? It's you can hear the exasperation in her voice. It's so, but to me, it's just so frustrating. I'm like, okay, a ground's not offering it up. I don't. I, if they're not, can you find a different date? I, do you know what I mean? There's, it's, it's come around. I don't know when it was planned, but I'm pretty sure it was planned after the Euros, when they knew it was going to be a big deal. And you kind of already know the fixtures, don't you? For I mean, Beth, me and you have kind of had this conversation. I think outside of of the podcast and a little bit outside of work where we've been talking about it. But with the Merseyside Derby, we both kind of had a had a chat and we didn't know whether actually Everton were going to host it at Goodison. And everything seems last minute. Like we're seeing glimpses of, yeah, it's incredible that we've gone off on a tangent. I'm sorry to everybody watching, but, you know, debate, love it. We're, we're seeing it where women's football is growing and growing and growing. And it's incredible that we're, we're going to Premier League stadiums that we don't get to play in very often, but there's the flip side of it of how last minute that Merseyside Derby decision was. I mean, I feel like we had this conversation a while ago and we're like, well, they're probably not going to do it, but it feels like a last minute thought now again. Yeah, I think it's it's so difficult. And obviously I don't want to go off on a tangent too much, but 
the Merseyside derby situation is, is sort of a perfect example of, of the crossroads that women's football is at. That was initially meant to be played on Sunday, the 26th of March. Now you would imagine a Sunday afternoon in Goodison Park. Obviously, if you, if you look back at the reverse fixture at Anfield, they had 27,000 there for that. Um, and, and Everton were absolutely sublime on that day, beat Liverpool 3-0. So you would imagine on a Sunday afternoon, late March, it, it's going to be, Goodison is going to be definitely setting a club record attendance for a women's game there. And then obviously Sky have come in and offered the, you know, a, a, to, to buy the, the TV rights for it. And it's now been moved to a Friday evening, 7.30. Now that's great in one sense for the club and for the sort of wider exposure of the women's game. Obviously it's on TV. I think the Merseyside derby got in the region of sort of less than, just slightly less than half a million viewers, which was again, record for a women's WSL fixture. But it now means that, you know, you only have to look at on, on social media, a number of families with, with young girls, young boys taking the kids to the first football game now aren't going to be able to attend. Um, so I think that there is a real uh, crossroads, I guess, for, for, for the women's game at the minute between sort of getting those commercial decisions right and also considering the fans too. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, as you said, the Lionesses one in particular is is hugely frustrating. But I think that the one sort of positive is that they do play at Wembley that week and they've sold it out against, against Brazil. And I'm sure that will be a super game as well. So um, exciting times to come, I think, in, in the months going forward. I know that Beth's so happy and I get so angry about it. Well, fortunately for us, I was going to end on the positives. People don't have to uh, listen to us moaning for the rest of their weekend. Um, it, they're, they're completely valid debates, though, because, you know, we, we talk about how far the women's game has come. And then we have instances like this that I think within all of the incredibleness that we've had of winning, um, I'm probably just making up words here, but I'm at that point of how good it is and how amazing it is to see the Lionesses play that they're just beyond words. And the excitement is still there to see them, whether it's Wembley or Brentford and whether that venue sticks I don't know whether they're going to actually find a different venue or whether they're just going to stick to their guns. I don't know. But we do have, this is literally just the beginning. I mean, we're so lucky that we've had the Arnold Clark Cup winning twice. Um, we won the Euros and we're going in. Before this, I mean, the USA were probably one of the, the, they were the best in the world. And now England in the last kind of year have crept up and been like, <laughs> Hi, here we are. We're taking you on. I'm not saying anything. I am looking at you, Megan. <laughs> I said that to Millie Bray after the game. I was like, so, um, yeah, how are you feeling going into the World Cup? Because obviously people like me are a little nervous about all this. And yeah, she was she was typical. Millie Bray was like, no, we got to focus on this. Like, we're not looking towards the World Cup. Very, very good media training. It was spot on for Millie Bray. <laughs> I do love that, though. I do love that you were like, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, but we are making people nervous. We, we've had this discussion of the nations are nervous now to, to face us. But that's because we are so incredible. I mean, we're now 29 games unbeaten, is it? Um, I literally, throughout the last kind of 10 days, I've lost count. Serena is doing the most incredible job. And I think I'm going to go around and kind of 
ask you guys what I guess you're most excited about um, kind of seeing England in the next few months and in the lead up to the World Cup and in the World Cup. Um, so I'll, I'll go first. Um, I think I might have to agree with what Beth said right at the beginning. Lauren James is just... Stop lying. <laughs> I think she's not everyone's. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, she's just she's just dynamite on the pitch. I mean, if it's all Lauren James, then we can all just have a Lauren James pilot. No, no, no we'll think of something different. <laughs> um, for me, it, it is Lauren. Um, seeing her on the pitch, seeing how humble she is off the pitch she is just an absolute superstar um serena said we haven't even barely got seen her get started yet and i'm really excited to kind of see her flourish and grow seeing her in training um i mentioned this on a couple of podcasts ago seeing her in training with millie she just is incredible part of that team um and it's so amazing to see such like those young players and i think lauren and and Katie Robinson, uh, uh, those young players that are coming through and cementing themselves. And we're going to see some incredible stuff from them over the next few months. Megan, have you thought of one? Yeah, I feel like I've been at a pub and someone's told me, sorry, we don't have waffle fries. What else do you want? And like, I have to think of, I think I have to think of something else. But no, um, on a more general level, what I'm excited about going to the World Cup is the ceiling that I think England women have kind of made going into the tournament. I think they've really raised a level. You think going back to 2019, you know, that feels like such a distant memory when you look at what that team was capable of, you know, the kind of football that they were doing, what they were doing on the pitch in terms of, yeah, kind of how they, how they, in terms of like a litmus test where they registered on the world stage. And I think you look at them now and they really are kind of telling other teams like if you're going to be serious about this and you're going to be serious about what you want to do you've got to lift your level um I'm I'm mostly excited about that because if the women's game is gonna continue on this trajectory um I think they're kind of at the forefront of it which is really cool and for someone like me who's obviously been watching football for a long time where the U.S. has sort of dominated it's very scary but it's also really exciting because it means like we have to do kind of an internal audit of ourselves and say right what are we doing? Because like, we've not been in our best. You look at the Olympics that we did. I'm not going to go on like too much of a tangent. But yeah, for me, England are, are really pushing the rest of the big kind of world beasts and saying this is this is kind of the n- new level. Get on it. I love that. Louise, what about you? For, for me, it was when um, in that last game, Lauren Hemp and Rachel Daly were on the bench. I actually felt a little bit sick. So I'm like, look at, who, look at the talent we've got on the bench because of the talent we've got on the pitch. Like, and I, I, I think Wright as well said it on uh, the commentary, that probably the only uh, weakness we've got is when Lucy Bronze gets caught too high up. If that's the only weakness we've got, I, I want to see a team that's going to be like, right, we figured England out and we want to go. So I'm really looking forward to who's going to try and tear us apart. Uh, I think America very much can tear us apart. I think Brazil is going to be an amazing test. And I think Australia, these next couple of games, I think they're just going to be so amazing. And if we can come up against that sort of opposition that play completely different to each other, and if we can figure that out and they and no one still figures out our weakness, if, if Lucy Bronze being too high is the only one, but it's frightening to where we could go. So I'm super excited. Whoever organised these next two games were very clever, seeing as they're probably two of our biggest opponents for the World Cup. Like, they thought about this. They're not silly. They didn't put it at Brenton very well. I didn't think about that, did they? No, they didn't. No. 
<laughs> Beth, what about you? What are you most excited about over the next few months? I think I'm excited because I'd say there's probably 14 or 15 players who you would say if they're fit, they go to the World Cup. Absolutely no questions asked. So I'm excited to see who takes those other sort of five, six, seven, eight spots. Um, because, you know, we saw the likes of Katie Robinson from Brighton, Jess Park, obviously my Merseyside bias coming in there, but um, we saw those players given opportunities. I thought those players did really well. You've got the likes of Jordan Nobbs, who's in brilliant form for Aston Villa, but wasn't utilised too much by Serena in this tournament, which I think is is maybe indicative of, of where Serena's mindset is at with her. You've got Beth England banging the goals in from, from Tottenham. Well, you know, if she continues that, then surely she becomes a player that you can't ignore. Um, Gabby George as well from Everton. I spoke on that on the first podcast. I think, again, I am biased, but, um, you know, I watch it very, very, very regularly and she's a real, real talent. And I think, you know, when when you consider that, that actually left back is is where there's not maybe a 100% definite, Alex Green did a great job there when she played out there and you've got Neve Charles who can do that as well. But I think Gabby George is, is versatile, can play at the back as well. You know, I'd be interested to see if she keeps up her form. Will she get in? So yeah, that's what I'm excited to see. Sort of those sort of last puzzle pieces come into place in the squad. And I think just just seeing just seeing more and more of this team, you know, it's great. We've got this next international window with a couple of games against top opposition because they are really a, a joy to watch. And I think I said to, to Laura the other day and it made her laugh, but there's something about the, about Serena that reminds me of Jurgen Klopp, which I know sounds ridiculous. I don't mean physically, first of all, but I mean, sometimes I think a manager comes into a, a team and they just fit um, and it, it transcends what they do on the pitch. It goes it goes beyond that. It goes beyond sort of the bond they have as a team and, you know, it becomes personal. I think you can tell the players just adore playing for her. They'd run through absolute brick walls for her. And, you know, she's... She's a sensational manager, so I'm really excited to see what what this team do ahead of the World Cup, and and yeah, really looking forward to the summer. I think an image of that though was like at the Euros. It, there's a snapshot of Beth England didn't play a, a minute at the Euros, but when they won, the first person she ran on and hugged was Serena Wiegmann, and I was like, that is the pinnacle that says how much of a great manager she is. That you can still have that, and there's no bitterness or anything like that. So I think it's fantastic that you're right. It's so wholesome. I mean, we could literally probably do a whole podcast just on the choices and who might go to the World Cup. Um, But we are out of time today. We've had an incredible couple of weeks covering the Arnold Clark Cup. Um, Our first tournament as a team as well covering it, um, which is amazing. So thank you everybody who has listened, who has watched. um, And thank you to all of our lovely writers who have been on. and yeah we will see everybody probably just in time for the world cup um and good luck england for the next couple of big games 